And I think Miss Haven has the Happy Club bag. Is that right? That's right. Haven Bullington. Haven Bullington. Let's see. She brought a stuffed animal? Hang on. Let's... Oh, I see it already. You see it? I'm going to need some help, Haven. What is this? It's a bear. Okay. Is it a special bear? Mm-hmm. I got it when I was on vacation. You got it on vacation. Tell me about this bear. Um, it's really in Florida at Build a Bear Workshop. Oh, Build a Bear Workshop. So did you make this bear? Mm-hmm. And I, um, Catherine's done that before. You actually put the stuffing in. Mm-hmm. And what all do you do? Do you pick the, do you pick the eyes? Do you select? Or what else do you do? You put the heart in. You put the heart in. What else? Mm. You choose. You choose the color of the bear. All those things, you get to choose and pick, and you put the heart in. And I, I guess I know this is special to you, Haven, because you you made it, and that makes it unique, and that makes it have a, a special relationship with you, as a, instead of just going to a store and buying one off the shelf. This is something that you selected special and created out of things that you wanted to put together and you know what boys and girls i think god does the same thing with us he doesn't just go to a store and pick us off the shelf but he he picks what color hair you're going to have and and what your eyes will look like and what you're going to look like on the outside and then when he's finished he puts a heart inside and starts it beating because he loves us and he wants our heart to beat for him too so just like, what's this bear's name? Barry. Barry, okay. Well, just like Barry is special to you, Haven, because everything you put together and the heart you placed within him, I know God is special. You are, every one of you is special to God. And, and so we can be thankful for that too. What happened? What's going on? Y'all don't do, don't do, don't do ears, don't do ears behind me. Brothers. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Well, I know you're special to God, and he created you, and there's no one else like you. Pray and thank him for that. Let's bow together. Dear God, thank you for creating me and making me special. Help me to serve you with what you've given me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, here's Barry. Thank you, Haven, for sharing, Barry. And it's, it's a boy's turn. Charlie takes. Charlie, will you take the bag home and bring back something special next week? All right, boys and girls, you can go with Miss Sabina to, to children's worship if you want to. call the righteous but sinners to repentance. We saw in that video at the very early part of this service how, it, how important it is for us to be aware of rescuing the sinners, of rescuing the perishing. And we do it simply because Jesus is a friend of sinners. We're going to sing hymn number 185, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Will you please stand as we sing? Amen. 
me in prayer. Lord, as we come to this scheduled time of worship, we present our offering. Pray that we do so with a proper mindset and a proper heart. This is not an action that's self-centered, uh, self-worth, and self-righteousness. Lord, we acknowledge that you are not dependent, dependent on us at all. It's the opposite. We are totally dependent on you. And Lord, also pray that it's not something that becomes routine. You know, the Bible teaches that any action without the proper heart and attitude is empty. So I pray that this is given out of obedience, love, and honor, and with joy and happiness. So Lord, as we, I lift up this offering, that it, I pray that it's pleasing to you that not just it will be blessed, but also the giver, but not blessed with earthly things, but that we'll grow stronger and deeper in our relationship with you. In Christ's name, amen.
choir. God's faithfulness is new every morning, and it is true, and it is secure, and we can rest in that assurance. We are touring through the Bible in our sermons. Um, in recent weeks, we have looked at First and Second Samuel, which was mainly uh, Saul and David. And now in 1 Kings, we are in Solomon. <clears throat> a little bit later in the book, though, I wanted to look at Elijah, a famous passage where Elijah and the, the prophets of Baal have a contest on Mount Carmel. King Ahab, by marrying Jezebel, had introduced Baal worship into Israel. Solomon had begun the practice by marrying foreign wives. Do you remember how, how God warned Israel about marrying wives from other countries that would bring their religion in with them and infiltrate the, the religion of Israel, the children of Israel worshiping God, and change it and dilute it and water it down? And, and Solomon didn't heed that. As wise as he was, he chose foreign wives as a means of forging political alliances. And so that's how his country uh, had a, a season of prosperity and peace because he married everybody's daughter in surrounding countries and was able to build quite an empire in Israel. Well, that was the beginning of the end for Israel. Ahab perfected the, the practice by marrying Jezebel and it just created a mess. They were worshiping Baal, and Elijah stood against them. And here we are in 1 Kings 18, verse 20. And Elijah says, once and for all, let's decide who's going to be the God of Israel. If it's going to be the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let's serve him. If it's going to be Baal, Let's serve him, but let's not try to serve both. Let's not serve one one day and one the next. Let's decide who, whose God is God. And he, he puts it in no uncertain terms. 1 Kings 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, Here's the penetrating question I challenge you with today. How long will you go limping with two different opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. <clears throat> the people did not answer him a word. Right there, they should have said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But they had been introduced to Baal. They were afraid of Ahab and Jezebel. They were already limping. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire to it. They took the bull which was given them, they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, 
Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped about the altar which they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, crying, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he has gone aside, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. (laughs) And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. As midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one heeded. Why? (laughs) Because Baal is not a god. Let's skip over to the end, verse 36. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant, that I have done all these things according to thy word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that thou, O Lord, art God and that thou hast turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they worshiped God until the next time a foreign God came along. How fickle they And we can be. Shall we pray? Father, as we come to worship you today, we are as guilty as the children of Israel, limping along between two opinions, saying on Sunday that you are God, but not always living that way Monday through Saturday. And we allow so many things to vie for our affection and our attention, and our energy, and our resources. Father, help us this day to decide who is God and limp no longer between two opinions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was growing up in my neighborhood, we played a game called King of the Hill. We didn't have too many hills in Decatur, but anytime we found a pile of dirt somewhere, some boy would jump up on top of it and begin to jump around and say, I'm king of the hill, and all the other guys in the neighborhood would try to climb up and push him down. And whoever left remaining at the top of the hill after a few pushes down the hill would jump around and shout, I'm king of the hill. And as I read this passage In 1 Kings 18, it occurs to me that we didn't invent that game. It happened 3,000 years ago in Israel on a mountain called Carmel. And the combatants are Elijah and Ahab, and Ahab's 450 Baal prophets and 400, 400 prophets of Asherah, 850 in all. Ahab is king of Israel at the time. But Elijah challenges him and his huge staff of state-owned and state-operated preachers. There's one king on the mountain that day, but Elijah is going to see to it that all that would change. And of course, it's no game. The confrontation is of epic proportions, and there's much more at stake than just which man is going to be left standing on the mountain at the end of the day. It's going to decide once and for all 
Who is God? Is it going to be God or is it Baal? And it might just convince the children of Israel for a season. Because they are forever limping between two opinions. The Hebrew word in our scripture this morning is interesting. The word for opinion means a a fork in a road or a fork in some branches in a tree. And the word for limp means to falter or waver, to hop or dance or leap. So Elijah's question really is, how long are you going to keep dancing on one foot while with the other foot try to straddle an ever-widening fork? It's a ridiculous image. It is an impossible practice. You can't hop and straddle a fork at the same time. It is a defining moment in the Bible when double-mindedness is confronted and condemned. And as a matter of fact, Jesus said the same thing in the New Testament in Matthew 6. He said you can't choose two masters. You can't serve two masters. Either you will love one and hate the other, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve two masters. So as we pick up this story... Israel has been in a drought for three years. The word of the Lord had come to Elijah and said, go tell King Ahab that a drought is coming. Elijah did that and God told him, don't hang around after you say that. (laughs) So Elijah went and hid by a brook called Kirith. And while he was there, ravens fed him night and day with meat and bread. And God took care of Elijah there in the wilderness Eventually, the brook dried up because of the drought. And so God said, go to Zarephath, and a widow there will care for you. So Elijah goes to a place called Zarephath, and there he sees a a widow woman drawing water, and he says, give me some water, and she does. And he says, give me something to eat, and this poor woman doesn't have anything to eat. She says, we have enough for one more meal, me and my son. And when we eat that, we will lie down and we will die. Elijah said, no, you won't. Give me something to eat. So the woman went home and took the measure of oil, her last oil, and took some flour, her last flour, and made some bread and gave it to Elijah. And she went back to the pantry, and and lo and behold, there was more oil, and there was more flour. And it kept reappearing, and it was enough to feed her and her starving son the remainder of the drought period in Israel. It was another miracle. But the three years were up, and God comes to Elijah, and he says, Go back to Ahab and tell him now that rain is coming. You would think that Ahab would welcome such news. But after three years, Ahab had begun to hate Elijah so much that even when Elijah comes and says, Ahab, the drought is over. Look, there is a cloud on the horizon. Ahab is so mad at Elijah, he can't stand it. Ahab says to Elijah, you are the one who has caused this. You are the troubler, he called him, of Israel. Well, Elijah is not going to take the rap for Israel's problems. Ahab and his wife Jezebel and their god Baal were the source of the problems. Ahab had married the Canaanite princess who had introduced the worship of Baal into Israel. And that's why 
The author in 1 Kings says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. It's because he had, entered, he had allowed his wife to introduce another god into the country. And the people had to worship Baal. They were expected to bow down to a statue and pray as they had done to God. It was a royal decree. And in those days when the queen and king said, do it, you did it. Unless you were Elijah. Here was a man who was accustomed to standing alone, whose commitment to God would not be shaken, who could not be intimidated into compromise. So when Jezebel led the weak Israelites away from God, Elijah spoke out. He denounced Ahab and Jezebel and their God. And Ahab sided with his wife and he lashed out against Elijah And when this prophet came that rain was on the way, Ahab accused Elijah of causing this suffering to fall upon Israel. And that's when Elijah said, all right, Ahab, I'm sick of this. Let's decide once and for all who God is. And we'll remind the children of Israel in the process because they are limping between two opinions. They are wavering. They are vacillating. And it is disgusting to God. So Elijah says, round up all the prophets of Baal and meet me on Mount Carmel, and we will see who's really causing the trouble for Israel. And so they came, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, which was also a fertility cult from Canaan. And here's Elijah, one lone prophet of Yahweh, facing 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. I want you to get this picture in your mind, this scene on Mount Carmel. 850 to 1. It's worse than Custer's last stand. It's worse than David and Goliath. But this is one place in the Bible where numbers really don't matter. It could have been 10,000 to 1. It could have been 1 million to 1. As long as that one had the Lord God on his side, the odds were always going to be In his favor. And so, Elijah faces 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. And you might think if they took a vote that day and it was a democracy, that Elijah would have been voted out of business, tarred and feathered, and sent out of town. But it wasn't a democracy, it was God and Elijah against Jezebel and Ahab and 850 prophets who had infiltrated the worship of Almighty God. Don't always let numbers sway you, my friends, because sometimes the majority isn't always right. It reminds me of a fly in an old Aesop fable. A spider built a beautiful web in an old house, and he kept it clean and shiny so that flies would visit it. The minute he got a customer, he would clean up on that fly so that other flies wouldn't get suspicious of what he was up to. One day, this really smart fly came buzzing by the pretty clean web, and the spider said, why don't you come in and sit a while? The smart fly said, no, thank you, sir. I don't see any other flies in your house, so I'm not going in there alone. But presently, this fly saw 
On the floor, a large crowd of flies dancing around on a brown piece of paper. And he was thrilled. He thought to himself, if lots of flies are doing it, it must be okay. And so he went in for a landing. Just before he landed, a bee zoomed by and said, don't land there, stupid, that's flypaper. And the fly shouted back, don't be silly, there's a crowd down there. Everybody's doing it, that many flies can't be wrong. And with that, he became a stuck-up fly. Drum roll. My point is, the majority isn't always right. And if they had voted on Mount Carmel, Elijah would have been defeated. Written off as a religious fanatic. A man tied to old ways and resistant to modern ways and modern religious thought. And he would have missed the chance to show who was God. But everyone gathered on Mount Carmel and Elijah threw down the gauntlet and he said, the time has come for us to decide once and for all who is God. You have been limping between two opinions too long. If Yahweh is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. But stop waffling between the two. It is not only indecisive, it is an insult to God who will not tolerate the worship of other gods. He is a jealous God. He won't share your commitment to anyone. He will have no part of divided loyalty. With God, it is either all or nothing. You know, we have a hard time accepting Elijah's word on Mount Carmel. Even with our advantage of history, we have a hard time seeing the total commitment that is required by our God. Even with The Shema in the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And added to it Jesus' words in the New Testament, no man can serve two masters. It's so hard for us to make that that step of commitment. Oh, we're committed a little, I guess. Just not totally. And there's always a little bit of something we're holding back. Maybe a little love, maybe some of our affection, our availability, maybe a pinch of loyalty we haven't yet given to God. And he wants it all. He deserves it all. And yet we always find ourselves holding a little back. But that's the kind of commitment that Elijah showed on Mount Carmel that day. He ordered two altars be built, prepared for the sacrifice, one for Baal, one for God. And then the prophets would each implore their God to bring down fire from heaven and ignite the sacrifice. Whichever God heard that prayer and answered would be the real God. The prophets of Baal prayed all morning. They danced around. They cut themselves to convince their God of their sincerity. But there was no answer. There was no fire. There was no sacrifice to Baal. Elijah took his turn and with a flair for the dramatic He ordered his sacrifice to be thoroughly doused with water. Once. A second time. And then a third time so that there was so much water on the sacrifice that it poured down off the altar and filled the trenches that surrounded the altar. And then Elijah called out. He said, O Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel 
and fire came down and ignited the wood on the altar and licked up the water in the trenches. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And God won that day. He, Elijah stood against Ahab and Jezebel and the 850 prophets. Can you imagine how those 850 prophets felt when they saw that fire come down out of heaven? They knew the game was up and so was their lives. God was king, the God who answers prayer and brings fire, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is a majority of one all by himself. And for a while, the children of Israel were faithful. But it wasn't long before they followed after another God. And once again, God would send a prophet. He would send someone to call them back and they would come back and they would remain for a while and then they would stray again, over and over again. Until the day when God sent another sacrifice on another hill. It too served as a climax between God's servant and an overwhelming majority. And it exposed the weakness of the officials and the fickleness of the crowd. Because like the one on Mount Carmel 900 years earlier, this sacrifice on this hill called Calvary proved who God really was. Unlike the sacrifice on Mount Carmel, though, this was not an altar of crude stones made into a a pile and surrounded by a trench. This altar of sacrifice was a Roman cross flanked by two convicted thieves, surrounded by the most vile prejudice and vicious hostility any so-called religious people can muster. And unlike the sacrifice on Mount Carmel, this sacrifice was the last one that was ever needed to cover the sins of man for all time. Finally, unlike the sacrifice on Mount Carmel, this one cost God more than a bull. It cost him his only son. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Sounds like Joshua, doesn't it? They have to keep doing it over and over again. You're limping along between two opinions, Israel. Decide who is God. And once decided, follow him. A wonderful story is told by a well-known African-American preacher out in Los Angeles, E.V. Hill, who was pastor out there during the Watts riots and and all the hatred and animosity that brewed. Another pastor had already been killed in those days, and word had it that E.V. would be next. He received a threatening phone call one night at home, and his wife asked him who it was, and sensing something was wrong, E.V. said, it was nobody, don't worry about it. But she persisted, and finally he relented and said, Somebody called and said, don't be surprised if when you crank your car in the morning, it explodes. 
Well, they slept a kind of a fitful night. When Evie woke up the next morning, he discovered that his car was gone from the driveway. And he was anxiously pacing, and, and finally looking out the window, he saw his car come around the block and pull around the corner and back into the driveway. And his wife got out of the car and came into the house, and Hill said, What in the world had you been doing? And she said, when I woke up this morning, I decided if anybody was going to be killed today, it was going to be me. E.V. Hill said he never had to ask his wife again if she loved him. He never had to limp along between two opinions because she had proven her love once and for all. And that's what God did for the children of Israel on Mount Carmel and what he has done for us on Calvary. If Baal is God, if your career is God, if your resources is your God, if your finances is your God, then serve it. But if the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of Jesus, is God. Then serve him. And don't go vacillating between the two. You cannot serve two masters. Stop limping. And choose. the Lord God who loved you and created you and put a heart within you and placed his image on that heart. Sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. And more than anything else, wants to have a relationship, a personal relationship with you. Join me in serving that God and that one alone. Shall we pray? Father, as we, as we worship you, we thank you for the encouragement we have when we come together with brothers and sisters in Christ in this beautiful sanctuary. And we hear this, this glorious music and we sing your praises And we express our love and devotion to you. But then we leave here and and Satan begins his onslaught. And he presents us with many obstacles and diversions and, and other things that would draw us away from you. And vie for the affection and the attention and the love that you and you alone deserve Father help us to choose and stop limping between two opinions but to choose you and to walk solidly behind you all the rest of our lives in Jesus name we pray Amen Great is thy faithfulness Hymn number 54 is our hymn of decision and commitment. And this hymn provides a venue 
basically for you to make a decision and to share it publicly. If you need to profess your faith or rededicate your life or join this church, if you need to come to the altar and pray, if there's something you'd like to share, I'll be here at the front to receive you. Please stand and sing.